If you listened to last week's Good Story episode, you might be thinking that I can't grow anything. But you would be wrong, my friend. For example, those herbs I buy every year, the cilantro, the basil, and the one extra item I purchase, they grow like nobody's business. They grow so fast and go to seed before I even have a chance to use them once. A Good Story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Paul shared his love for the church at Philippi by telling them that he thanks God for them every single time he thinks of them. And after he said that he was confident that God, who began a good work in each one of them, would continue to carry that work on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, after he said both of these things, Paul said he longed for the people of Philippi with great affection. And then he shared a prayer that he prays for them. What a gift. Have you ever heard someone say to you, I'm praying for you, and then they walk away and you think, huh, I wonder what they say. Or have you ever told someone that you would pray for them? Maybe they asked you to, or maybe they didn't. Maybe you just hear somebody with a prayer request. You say, yeah, I'm going to be praying for you. Either way, have you shared the words that you bring before the Lord on their behalf? That can be a very powerful and encouraging thing to do. Paul sets a good example for us in this. He often tells people he's praying, and then in his letter, he tells them what he's praying for specifically. For example, sometimes Paul would pray that God's people would be wise, like in Colossians 1.9, where he says, And so from the day we heard, we haven't ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Sometimes he prayed that God's people would have a hope that was grounded in what God had called them to, like in Ephesians 1, 17 to 18, where he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There are many verses like this. In fact, people have written books on these prayers for they offer a great wealth of insight into not only the Apostle Paul or the churches or the people he's writing to, but primarily they show us more of who God is. For we, if we ask God for something, we must know that he could deliver that. God is wisdom, so it makes sense that we ask him to make us wise. We ask God to give our leaders wisdom and our friends wisdom as they make decisions. God is also a God of hope. So it makes sense that we would ask God to instill a hope in us and in others that goes well beyond the hope that this world could offer. Anything we can hope for in the here and now is tenuous, but the hope we have in God does not disappoint because it is, it is rooted in love and it is poured out to us through the Holy Spirit. Today, however, we're not looking at those prayers. Those are just great ones. Today, we're looking at what Paul prayed for the people who made up the church that met at Lydia's house in Philippi. And so we turn to Philippians 1, 9 to 11, and we read this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best 
and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is praying for a bumper crop of righteousness. He is praying that love would abound. This cannot be a bad thing. In fact, it's the best thing one could hope for. Righteousness that shows itself in all areas of life, leaving no doubt about its source and its useful for all. Completely opposite from the strawberries I thought I was growing. I had long given up hope of growing a salsa garden. I tried a few more things and I wasn't always skunked either. One day I had a few friends over for coffee and while we were chatting and keeping one eye on our kids, my youngest son came running in all breathless and he was like, mommy, mommy, come and see, come and see. There's a really, really little yellow bikini in the garden. This got everyone's attention and out we ran following this small child who came across the inappropriate item in my yard. I was thinking, what the heck? We don't even have a kiddie pool. And there he stood pointing proudly at this tiny little zucchini growing in my garden where nothing else had ever dared try. I was excited and cautiously optimistic. That year, I planted only two things. I decided to plant sunflower and a zucchini plant. I tried growing zucchini mostly because people from church were always giving us zucchini, saying things like, whoa, it's a bumper crop this year which you might think that's the exact opposite reason to grow something. Why would you grow something that you already apparently are receiving from others? But to that, I say, why climb a mountain, right? Because it's there. And apparently where we were living in West Central Minnesota was where the growing of the zucchini could take place. Besides, I happen to love it. It might very well be my favorite vegetable. I love sauteing it with a little olive oil and salt and pepper. I love eating it raw. I love adding it to the variety of pasta dishes and, well, zucchini bread, hello. Unfortunately, there was no bread for me. Did I mention? It was yellow, right? My little yellow zucchini died on the vine. I learned later, and I quote, Not every gardener who plants curcubida pepo, which is a scientific term for zucchini, winds up with more squash than she can handle come midsummer. Even when plants are bushy, green, and producing flowers, young fruit can turn yellow, wither, and die. Fact. So, I left my little 4x12 garden plot to its own devices. I'd given up hope. And then one year, when I least expected it, a vine emerged. It began spreading itself along the ground. It started at the back right corner, but spread quickly to the front right corner, and soon it covered nearly the whole rectangle. I had no idea what was happening, but I was excited it was. And then one day I remembered the strawberry plant I'd gotten years earlier, a tiny little bit of a plant that had been living in a Dixie cup and was carried to me with precious little hands after church on a Sunday. My son, with plant in hand, looked up at me and said, Happy Mother's Day, Mommy. Look, we can grow strawberries. I didn't want to dash his hopes immediately, but I thought, fat chance. I said, thanks. I gave him a hug. He told me the teacher said to plant it and water it and that we would have strawberries every year. I chose to plant his plant in the very back right corner of my garden as I wanted to contain them a little bit. After all, I didn't want strawberries spreading and choking out the tomatoes and peppers that would inevitably be flourishing at 408 Fifth Street by late summer. As you might have guessed, we never saw this strawberry plant get any bigger than it was in its original blue and white decorated paper home. Nor were there ever any tomatoes or peppers. But now, what was happening? 
Something was growing. It was even flourishing in my garden, and this was filling me with excitement. I thought, I need to find someone who grows rhubarb, and I need to get my mom's strawberry rhubarb sauce recipe. I thought I should learn to make jam. I thought, oh, how fun to have homemade ice cream with strawberries on top. Our family's going to love this. And the plant continued to grow. It made its way outside of the garden and started moving onto Darlene's driveway. I was proud of that. As I redirected it away, keeping it safe from the coming and going of our pickup truck, flowers formed on my vine. I showed them off to our kids. I showed them off to Kenny. I kept looking at them and admiring them. I showed my plant off to our older boy's friend who came over one day, whose mom had a garden that could have fed half the town. I told him, look, I'm growing strawberries. What a surprise. He glanced at it while he was walking by, didn't even pause and said, that's not a strawberry plant. I couldn't figure out how he knew it so quickly. I asked him how he could tell. He said, because it doesn't look like one. I thought, well, you don't look like a botanist and clearly you fancy yourself one. Eventually, the flowers gave way to some small fruit. It grew and grew and grew and started to look familiar. I discovered I was growing gourds. Not the pretty gourds that look like tiny pumpkins or sport a contrast of deep green and bright orange. Instead, I was growing the ones that you'd actually rather throw out than look at. The ones that, let's say, you had chosen to use tiny gourds as placeholders one year for Thanksgiving. And let's say you had chosen to write people's names on them. And let's say you wanted your guests to take them home after the dinner was over. And so what you did is you bought a great big bag filled with a variety of tiny gourds. And let's say you were just one short of the cute ones and you had like five of these ugly ones left. And you decided, I cannot give this to someone I know and love. So instead, I would rather drag these four kids back to the store, buy a new bag, and figure out what to do with any of the extras than I would dare even think about using one of those warty, misshapen, ugly ones on my Thanksgiving table. Let's say you were thinking that, as in fact, maybe I had. And let's say you might take all those ugly ones, toss them into your garden plot, and hope they rot through the winter. And they did, until they burst forth the following summer. That is the only thing I have ever successfully grown. So, years later, when we were at a new church in a new time, and this church was looking for people to help cultivate our growing garden for people in need, I confidently declined to volunteer. I admire people who grow things successfully. I really do. I'm just not that person. I follow an Instagram account of a friend called On The Acre. All one word, On The Acre. Now I sound like I'm plugging it. I'm not. She doesn't even know I'm mentioning this. But here's the thing. This woman's amazing. She not only plots and plants a garden, she draws the pictures of her garden plot. She then harvests her beautiful garden and makes use of everything in it. What she doesn't eat, she sometimes uses to make dyes. And then she dyes wool that, of course, she uses to knit into hats and sweaters that she can wear. I tell you what, the Lord, our maker, made a maker when he crafted this beautiful woman. And I'm grateful that God made her. I find great joy when I see what she posts. She is a living a life that bears fruit, both literally and spiritually. So let's think of her as an example of abundant fruit when we look at Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi. Paul prays that the Philippians would have First, a love that is abounding in knowledge and depth of insight, a love for God that is based not on what they think God might be like, but a love for a God they know. 
Paul wants the Philippians to have greater depth of insight for this God they follow. Don't we all want that? I've been married to my husband for a long time now. I'm not even going to figure out the years. It's math, I'm not doing that right now. But here's the deal. I've enjoyed getting to know him more. The love that I have for him comes with a depth of insight regarding who he is. Paul wants the Philippians to grow in their love for God in a way befitting of a close relationship. One where they know God is a God of love. I understand that now. God is a God who has plans. I understand that God has good plans. God has plans to give me a future and a hope. God is trustworthy. God is faithful. God is able. And from that abundance of the knowledge of God, Paul prays for minds that allow them to discern what's best. Paul wants the people at Philippi to have discernment. He wants them to take the insights they've come to know about God and put them into practice with the way they think about things. Paul wants Philippians to have sound judgment about what is wise and true. He wants them to know this is the right course of action. He wants them to have this fruit of righteousness, which is right living. He prays that they would act on the truth that they know. Which, yes, the next phrase, Paul tells us this. He prays that the Philippians would have lives that are pure and blameless. He prays their lives would be pure. What is that? Having a a uniform composition, not mixed. Lives that are focused on one thing, wanting one thing, not being polluted by what was untrue. Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book in the late 1930s. It was called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. As you read this, you hear that what he's doing is he's identifying holiness with the phrase purity of heart. He's identifying that as a thing that God wants, purity of heart. It was his phrase for holiness. And he says, what is this one thing? It's wanting what God wants. So his book title could read, holiness is to want what God wants. Let me say that again. Holiness is to want what God wants. What God wants for our lives, for the lives of others, For those who don't know who God is yet, that's what Paul's praying for the Philippians. He wants them to live lives that are focused solely on what God wants for them. Why? Why does Paul pray these things? He prays them because he knows a bumper crop and the fruit of righteousness, fruit coming from lives lived with the intent of doing what God wants, lives lived in such a way that is only possible through Jesus Christ. This type of living would bring glory and praise to the creator God who made us. Paul's ultimate goal in life is that more glory would go to God. A bumper crop of righteousness inevitably leading to a bumper crop of glory. A useful crop that is not grown on our own. It is grown by the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work within us, helping us to be able to will and to act according to God's good promises for us. God is a good God. God, continue to grow your work in each one of us. Continue to bear fruit. Thank you that we can trust you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you more. Increase our understanding with you. Give us depth of insight. I pray that our minds would be focused on you. Lord, I pray that you would grow in us lives that want what you want and that act accordingly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.